Well, hello again, for those of you who listened uh, just a couple of days ago. This is uh, the second time we've talked to you this week here on Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SE coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, who has been involved on the radio side since uh, nearly day one of USL. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where I have been covering the boys in gold in greater depth than you will find anywhere else from day one. ClubCountryUSA.com, the place to go, especially as we get ready for, I have to count it every time to confirm, the fourth season for Nashville SC and Major League <laughs> Soccer, sixth of first two-tier professional soccer in uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And Tim, there is an important reason that we are back and that is that preseason now starts as we are recording this in less than 48 hours as Nashville SC takes on New York Red Bulls. It's time to start getting in depth about this roster. Yeah, and it's a situation that it, it never feels like it's actually the beginning of the season, right? You you kind of just fall into it as as the preseason begins. And um, of course, um, since we're not expecting to be able to see any of Nashville SC's preseason action, um, and especially not the games that are down in Florida, um, I guess we will kind of ease into it a little bit as as we hear about the results and as we talk to the members of the club about what is going on in those in those closed door friendlies. But um, for now, we, we kind of take a look at what we have uh, in terms of th- the knowledge that we've built up from last year's roster and along with the guys who have departed and are, are coming in and all the changes that uh, Hot Tim Winter entails each offseason. And we've, we've spent the offseason in discussion, key news and notes and perspectives and opinions. But this show is not really known for its discussion. That's part of it. That's important. It's about the dissection, right? We're going to take you with this show, ideally, where no other podcast is going to take you, where no other written outlet is going to take you, except, of course, for Tim's written outlet, ClubCountryUSA.com, and that is to dissect things. And so today we're going to get back into some of the data behind what happened last year uh, and also then have that discussion of what should be expected at each position group for Nashville SC. So in a minute here, we're going to start at keeper, move up our way up through the back line, central defensive midfield, wing, and, and then the forwards. And we're going to have a quick state of play. Who's who's available? Uh, what's the general depth chart look like? And then a fact, a question, and a prediction for each position group. And then we'll close today by taking a look at preseason and answering the burning questions of what Nashville SC should expect to get out of this preseason. If you've not listened to our episode earlier this week, which came out Tuesday, we, we touch on preseason. We're going to go a little deeper into that here today. Tim, are you ready? Oh my goodness. I don't know if I'll ever be ready, but uh, I'll put my best foot forward. Well, I'm not ready because first I want to talk about, of course, ML Rose. And I have said a lot after talking to a few listeners, uh, again, the week of January 30th, still don't have a day down, going to get to the ML Rose, probably going to be the West Nashville location, honestly, uh, because I mean, let's face it, it's five minutes That's from the most my important house. neighborhood. It is indeed. And it remains that way. And so I look forward to meeting some of you out there. Put this on your tentative calendars for early the week of January 30th probably either that Monday or that Tuesday, and uh, we'll nail down an exact day. And if you are interested in doing that, uh, show that you're listening, show that you're interested, just mention me on Twitter and say either Monday or Tuesday in your tweet. And we'll try to take that into account and and get out there. Uh, I'll be traveling a bit, Tim on the road quite a bit, and we'll uh, we'll meet you I will meet you in Nashville uh, this this coming week once I get done with my travel, June, January 30th, that next full week. And uh, we'll talk soccer. We'll talk beer. We'll enjoy ML Rose because, Tim, again, it's just it's the can't miss place for folks, not only during the season, but as we get ready for the season and start mapping out those those game day routines. 
Yeah, and it was it was awesome to hear a lot of our our listeners tell us how they enjoyed World Cup matches there, especially those United States men's national team World Cup matches, because it means that ML Rose is not just a Nashville SC bar. They're they're developing a, a reputation and a have a desire to develop a reputation as a place where where so- soccer fans and, and all sports fans uh, obviously uh, it's always been a place that you could feel pretty comfortable watching football, baseball, etc. Um, but they're increasingly becoming involved in the soccer game too. And we're, we're really happy to help them uh, with that and help to be a part of that. And we hope to see as many of you guys at uh, whether that's Wes's little happy hour deal or, 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 you know, just running into some of you guys at, at any of the ML Rose locations. Wes's little happy hour deal. That's what we're calling <laughs> it. Okay, sure. That's, that's fine. We can, we can do that if you want. Um, so, so as we get into this, uh, the, this breakdown of the roster, then again, in just a second, every position group, a, a state of play as to where things stand, a fact, a question and a prediction. We'll kind of throw in some radio calls. I feel like it's just been a lot of us talking. I've got access to the whole radio catalog of all the highlights for NSC in its MLS tenure. And so we're going to start here in just a second with our roster breakdown with keeper white at the apron shoot save willis joe says no joe willis played all but two matches last year that save courtesy of iHeartRadio. and the state of play here tim at keeper is is fairly stable i think joe willis is going to be the guy we would think uh, to start the season despite elliot panico coming in and spelling him a couple of times and showing potential third keeper right now ben martino and as, as we get into the facts of this position give you a stat from last year and we're going to look at that expected goals minus goals stat that can indicate a lot of different things there are variables here but but it is an okay way to at least look at how keepers played relative to expectations and relative to to the shots they faced uh, nashville conceded two fewer goals than the expected goals uh, that came against them so the keepers in the green seventh best in major league soccer and among just 10 clubs to be in the green here and Tim, i'm not going to get down to worshiping you know an individual you know two two goals over the course of a season here yeah. you talk about small sample size a phrase we haven't used uh really in a long time on the show and yet I think it does generally indicate the keepers played as they should yeah i i think depending on which provider you look at it, it might be slightly different too i think per American soccer analysis, which uh, calculates the expected goals values slightly differently from Opta, which is the league's official data provider. Um, it's, it's, it's like one and a half the other way. So, you know, if you're within a probably four or five goals over the course of the season, um, especially depending on how many shots you take, but four or five goals of basically dead, even over the course of the season, you pretty much had, you know, replacement level goalkeeping or, or slightly better or slightly worse. But, um, you know, the, the vagaries of luck can also really affect that a little bit too. So what we've seen is, um, you know, Joe Willis has been, you know, one of the better keepers, but not one of the best keepers in major league soccer for all three years with Nashville SC so far. And I think as you see the, the errors apparent kind of start to become clear, um, there's a really good chance that Nashville SC not only continues the sorts of performances they've been having, but, but improves upon it as, as the position group potentially gets a little bit younger as well. Is this the year that Elliot Panico is going to have to try to prove something? I, mean, I think it's hard when you have a, a fixture in front of you in Joe Willis, but there's also more opportunity in cup play, leagues cup play for Willis to work his way in. How, how, how does he take a step forward knowing he may not get more than a small handful of appearances? Yeah, I think uh, we were kind of surprised how little he ultimately did end up getting in the regular season last year. 
Um, and I, I think when you look at a club that doesn't have a dominant keeper, and we, we are very high on Joe Willis. I don't want to uh, besmirch his name by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not an Andre Blake. He's not a Matt Turner type of goalkeeper that you cannot take out of the lineup. So I think Panico has to get those reps and not least of which because um, this is an option year for Willis. So, um, you know, the club can um, choose to extend or not extend his contract at the end of the year. They did extend it um, by exercising his option at the end of last season. He has one more option year, if I recall correctly. So Nashville is going to want to see what they have in Panico to to make sure that, um, you know, he's that he is or is not ready to be the number one keeper because it's something that they've essentially been planning on since before they ever kicked a ball. He was the, he was one of the draft picks that they made in that inaugural super draft to be a future piece for this program. And he's developed basically along the curve that you would hope and expect. When it comes to Joe Willis, the big question that I have here is actually kind of a little bit wonky too. And it's whether Nashville's going to ask Joe Willis to be a sweeper again this year. Mm-hmm. He actually was was pretty active last year in coming uh, off his line to have to make plays as Nashville's defense showed some uncharacteristic vulnerability last year. Here's the stat. He said a career high for defensive actions outside his penalty area. This is another one of those fairly small sample size stats. So, so take it for what it's worth. I believe the number was like 22. So it's not, not significant. <laughs> um, he's really, he's really getting out there, <laughs> but it was like seven more than he'd done, you know, for his career high before that. I, I think it's a small indicator maybe of a defense that, that again was not as ironclad in, in Joe Willis than having to come out and make some plays and take some chances. And so I guess that's the question, Tim, that I have. Did, did you see that in Willis's, game last year am i is this a, a statistical mirage that's, that doesn't really indicate anything to you which which one of yeah, those i think the the significance of it uh is, is sample size based but but is is not not that big but i think the the underlying reason is maybe a slightly different nuance to the same sort of point that you're making i think nashville sc was willing to put him in those positions because they knew what he could do and therefore they were willing to take a few more risks we've seen walkers of Zimmerman become much more uh, ambitious with the ball at his feet over the course of his three years in Nashville so far. And um, that's something that if you have a center back who's getting up the field to dribble up the field to try and get involved in the attack, eventually, if it comes the other way, your keeper might have to make a play. And I think Nashville was willing to say, you know, Joe Willis is able to do this. Therefore, we will let Walker Zimmerman do something that can really help the attack. And that's that's probably the bigger reason behind it. Mm. And we'll, we'll see if you don't have a guy who can cover like Dave Romney could cover for some of those things. Maybe Willis has to do it more if Nashville tries to do the same the same sort of thing without a Romney. Or maybe they just kind of decide, hey, we're not going to we're not going to risk it with, with a guy that, um, you know, probably doesn't have the wheels that Romney has. And, and therefore. Uh, we we don't want to release Walker quite as frequently. So I, I could see it going hard in either direction, or it could essentially be the same. Maybe Nick DePew or whomever or Jack Mayer is is the same sort of player that Romney would have been had he stuck around. If DePew does take chances and score some goals, the radio call needs to say, DePew, DePew. <laughs> yeah, with, with uh, U.S. Women's National Team uh, forward Mallory Pew no longer as she has become Mallory Swanson, we need we need the sound effect name back in the in the Nashville soccer sphere. And the Braves need Dansby Swanson back in the Braves jersey. That's <laughs> not going to happen anyway. Um, from a college ba- a pro baseball podcast, apparently back to soccer. Uh, the the one prediction that that I'll give a keeper that interested in your projection as to what happens this year um, in in that before we move on to the back line. I, I, I this one's probably not a reach. 
But I think Elliot Panico plays more league action this year than last. So I'm not counting League's Cup because I think he's probably the guy for that. So that's a cheap route to get there. So I think in MLS play, I think he starts at least three matches for this team this year, even though there aren't as many midweeks. There aren't as many three matches in seven or eight days. I think this is an opportunity, as we talked about a minute ago, for the club to see if he can sink or swim. And I think they really do trust his shot-stopping ability. And they need to give him that opportunity to see if he's going to have the same type of reliability back there that Joe Willis does. Yeah, mine mine is uh, kind of a very different tack on the question. I think Nashville is going to have a, a season uh, that the the goalkeeping advantage over expected goals is is not within the range of oh we think this is just a little statistical weirdness and and it's you know the plus minus is going to be different depending on which provider you use. I think we're going to see an elite goalkeeping year from Nashville SC, and some of that is because of the position groups that we'll be discussing in a moment as well that are going to do a really good job of protecting uh, whether it's Willis, whether it's Panico. I think we're going to see elite performances from those guys because you have um, Walker Zimmerman who can make the plays that Walker has always made. Um, maybe he, he takes a few a few fewer defensive risks this year. Um, you have guys who are coming into their own like Jack Mayer. You have a guy like Nick Depew who's, who's made plays for LA Galaxy in the past. I think the keepers are going to be a little bit more protected than they have been in the past, specifically by the back line. I think, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the attack. I, th- I think Nashville is going to be a little more freewheeling there, but that will also allow them to be a little bit more conservative with that back four and, and the two uh, holding midfielders out of them. So let's chat about that back four slash five. And I think we do believe it's pro- primarily going to be a four and we'll just do the back line all at once. We're not going to break it down center backs versus fullbacks, but but we will tell you where, where that stands now. As you would think of it at a back four, then Walker and Jack Mayer are your your two center backs. Back upstairs, Depew, um, Ahmed Longmire, Josh Bauer hanging around as well. You could put Lawrence White into the center back yeah. or central mid category there. Left back, uh, Dan Lovitz backed up by Taylor Washington and Joey Skinner, presumably the draft pick out of Clemson. Jack Moore, the right back, of course, and back up there. And got Alex Wheel listed like three different places on this sheet uh, for where he can play his versatility and, and certainly he, he started you know in a in a back four quite a bit at right back to start the season um that's that's how things line up along the back line i had some questions too tim as we go throughout this about who to include some of these signings and draft picks that look like they're probably next pro guys i, I stayed away from but i will mm-hmm. sprinkle in a few and certainly skinner is is a guy who should be with this club and other than right back Depth here is solid, and right back, you got two guys you could start and feel confident with. So I guess you could say depth there is solid as well. Yeah, and it's worth noting, I don't think it's going to happen, but Jack Mayer has played right back for Nashville SC and in small spurts in the past. It's a possibility as well. Again, I don't think that it's something that Nashville wants to do or is going to put itself in a position to do. But yeah, you are basing this back line around Walker Zimmerman and Jack Mayer um, with some pretty nice attacking fullbacks in uh, Dan Lovitz and Shaq Moore. I almost said John Lovitz. Shout out to John Lovitz, the actor <laughs> John Lovitz. But but um, yeah, four the, years the front, in, you're still mixing yeah. up Dan and John. Wow. Yeah. The, the the top four is is spectacular. It's just what you're going to get, especially at those fullback positions, just because mm-hmm. it's it's not quite as proven. Taylor Washington has has done quite a bit with this club, but Joey Skinner's has not been a pro yet. Alex Mwil is going to be playing out of position if he plays that right back. So you do want to see some development and, and possibly some signings there to continue bolstering what could be, you know, you don't want to worry too much about like the two and three deep at a, at a given position, but it is an area where you look at and say, okay, yeah, maybe this could be a spot where you shore up a little bit more depth. A lot of Nashville's defensive regressions, even true strong, too strong a word last year came from 
uh, uncharacteristic mistakes along the back line. The fact that I'll share here, again, small sample size, but it, but it matters when mistakes are leading to shots and mistakes by your back line lead to the shots. And, and that's what I'm going to talk about here. Nashville made 12 mistakes last year that led to opponent shots. So the statistical classification here is errors. Um, that is fourth most in Major League Soccer and more than double the errors that made in 2021, just five. Again, when you're talking about between five and 15 touches in a whole season, that's fine. But when it's leading to shots, and, and again, when it's especially your center backs making those giveaways, then you're putting your keeper on an island more often than not by making those mistakes. Yeah, it's a situation where I know um, we have been probably on the higher end of, of the Dave, Dave Romney uh, opinion club. But towards the end of the year, he was responsible for a couple of those. And and some of the fan base had kind of turned against him. I don't think getting rid of Dave Romney is going to necessarily improve the, the rate at which Nashville SC avoids those those costly turnovers or mistakes. But it is a situation where you say, hey, if, if that kind of performance level that dropped off towards the end of the year was indicative of a guy who's kind of trending in the wrong direction. It's totally possible that as Jack Mayer comes into his own, or as you bring in a guy like um, Nick DePue, maybe my Longmire plays some minutes for the club this year. Mm-hmm. He got some pretty good time. Um, also spent some time suspended in USL last year, but um, it's a situation where a club that has so consistently been one of the older clubs in major league soccer loses a, a player who's a veteran he's dave romney was not the oldest player in the world to be to be clear but you're replacing it with with younger talent and there's a lot of unknown there and it's totally possible that that younger talent as it's given an opportunity almost represents an upgrade I th- again i think it's kind of unlikely but uh in terms of of how how it impacts the the overall roster bill it makes sense and and you could see um some pretty nice performances from these younger guys not too long ago, Jack Mayer, of course, was the guy classified as the unpredictable young talent. He did this twice in Vancouver. From the near flag, Mukhtar headed in. It's two. It's Jack Mayer. The milkman delivers. Thanks again to iHeartRadio. Uh, plays against Vancouver, apparently the early theme of this show, mainly because <laughs> they're the quickest highlights I could drag out. Initially, we'll have a couple of here later. Um, in reverse alphabetical order, you had them filed away, I guess, by opponent. <laughs> That's right. So next up is uh, Toronto, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Not a lot happy against them this year. Uh, the, the question is about this guy, though. It's about Jack Mayer, right? And, and it is, how does Nashville replace Dave Romney? Romney, solid, stable, except for some uncharacteristic gaffes, as you mentioned just a minute ago. But he did play all but 507 regular season minutes in NSC's history. We asked the question recently, Tim, you know, is, is Jack Mayer ready? And so I'll, I'll phrase it differently this time. As we look back on 2023, maybe this is your prediction here. Maybe we'll go straight into that. Mm-hmm. Will Jack Mayer get get a b b plus rating or above for his performance or is it going to be the kind of year where you say look maybe he wasn't quite ready to be the guy had some good moments but needs to improve in in year five of his career yeah i i think as as you look at what he's done so far in his career um similar to what i mentioned about panico this is a guy who was the very first draft pick for this club he was a guy that they planned to kind of build the future around and the trajectory over the course of his years thus far has been um, a guy who's out on loan for most of the year, a guy who's brought back to make some, um, you know, occasional appearances. And now last year, he was a guy who was a heavy rotation player. Um, he allowed Nashville SC to play a lot of the back five. Um, he also, you know, rotated in when Romney was unavailable. 
I, I, I can't, you know, definitively say he's going to be a B or B plus player, but I can tell you that the Nashville SC front office and coaching staff believes he has that potential. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you look at what he is able to provide, yes, I, th- I, th- I guess I will predict. Yes. I'll be a B plus level for him. But if he, but if he isn't right up to the task every time you have a proven guy in Depew that can come in and, and, you know, whether it's spelling him to give him a little bit more confidence back as he, as he kind of takes a minute, or if or if Depew outperforms him, you have more options than I feel like you had in the past. Even if it's it's you know essentially a like for like replacement Depew for Romney, Mayer is now the number one guy and and the the other guy is number two because Mayer is on the trajectory that has been expected of him. And Gary does believe in sitting a guy after a rough outing to give him a sense of perspective, mm-hmm. not to punish him necessarily. We saw that even with with Joe Willis when when Panico yeah. came in, it was Joe didn't have his best day. He's still our guy. We just thought, oh, we'd give him a minute. I think defensively, especially, he understands the value of confidence, and and that's to me the key with Mayer, right? The physical tools yeah. are there. D- and, d- can and, he withstand that grind mentally? And we appreciate Gary Smith's candor in these situations. I also uh, would say some of those are probably pre-planned things, but it's an easy <laughs> uh, it's an easy soundbite to give when you're trying to give Panico confidence as yeah. well when yeah. you have those planned rotations coming up too. But but yeah, and some of that too is some off the record <laughs> stuff that he's told me that I think you know again it's like off the record of the moment. Now I feel safer saying like yeah you know it, it wasn't Joe's best game. But we're not punishing Joe. It's about yeah. letting him sit and get get right. Um, I, I have already kind of asked you to make a prediction about mayor. Any, any other projections you want to try to make here? No, I'll, I'll make one. If you don't have, one. Yeah, go, go ahead. And I'll, and I'll, uh, we, we can embrace debate real quick. After yours. Yeah. You're, you're lying in wait for mine and ready to attack. And I, I can probably see my points of vulnerability here, I, but I think Nashville comes out in a three man back line at least 10 times in 2023. I don't think it's the majority set up. I also don't think it's how they intend to set up this year, but I can still see it because of the temptation of having Depew, who's a seasoned veteran in this league, having Mayer, who you want to be the ascendant starter, and of course Walker over there. I, I could see maybe some more conservative setups in a three-man or a five-man back line, especially on the road in some in some you know Lions layers. Now, I, I also, other point of vulnerability before I let you pounce, I know that <laughs> the top half of that formation doesn't really form, like, like tactically fit as well. Mm-hmm. A guy like Schaffelberg probably doesn't have a place if you have that 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 three-man back line. You're, you're asking some other guys to make some compromises. Shaq Moore can play right wing back, but maybe he's a better going forward bombing right back in a four. I understand all that. Having said that, go ahead, pounce. Yeah, the, the Shaq Moore point was, was the main one that I wanted to make. After he arrived, Nashville SC played with a three-man back line um, per transfer market. I don't remember precisely um, if, if they're accurate, but they typically are. Only one time did Nashville mm-hmm. go with a three-man back line after Shaq arrived. So that's a situation where you look, you take a guy who you signed because you wanted to play a four-man back line. Um, he was supposed to be the guy that gave you that opportunity when you were, I don't want to say forced into, a, you know, that kind of back three or back five before he arrived. But, um, you know, Nashville had been hoping to get him before the season. They didn't. <laughs> they kind of went with what they had for a while there. Um you know, I, I think the back four gives you a little bit more opportunity to to whip in those those crosses that um, Shaq is really good at. Lovitz is really good at as well. Um, the the back five, it, it, your spacing gets a little bit weirder in those respects. Um, obviously, the, um, when you are whipping in those crosses, you're you're requiring good hold up play from um, CJ Sapong, Teal Bonberry, or whomever else. But I think layoff passes um, from that 
to Hani Mukhtar are the sort of thing that Nashville is going to live with a little bit more. They don't want to force Hani to dribble guys constantly like he was able to do last year. Uh, they know he can do it, but it, that's not a, a great way to um, keep your MVP healthy and rested and all those sorts of things. The back four gives you the opportunity to to get the most out of your players while not, I think, taxing the guys that are are most apt to get a ton of minutes. You're probably right. And yes. this was this, this was is the good point that you raised a good point there. <laughs> That's going to go in the in the the montage we put together one of these days when I get around to it of like you know <laughs> things we've said. You're probably right. And Tim just like yes, you're probably right. I, it, it's it's the pick that I the prediction among these that I thought is, is probably the, the the toughest to to back up and see. Mm-hmm. But I still think you know just knowing this club and knowing how it can get sometimes, especially if there are injuries yeah. up top, maybe, maybe that's a way you could potentially see them going. And and you, you the one thing that you did mention, which is kind of going on the road and, and those sorts of things, we've seen Gary Smith, you know, kind of lean back on those back three, back fives when it's, when the going is really tough. He, mm-hmm. It's something that, that kind of is a safety blanket. And I don't think we, um, you know, completely lack that formation uh, on our television screens or in front of our eyeballs in Geodas Park this year. But I do think it'll just be a very rare changeup. In 2022, the first goal of the season was scored by Anibal Godoy. Here was the sounds of here were the sounds of that goal on iHeartRadio. Marching back in as Leal cross back post. Godoy scores. New conference. Same Nashville. Moving into the central midfield area, then Sean Davis was the fixture. Only player, actually, um, including Willis, to appear in, in every match for Nashville SC. You presume he is a sharpied in starter, and the question is who starts next to him. Dax and Godoy, of course, one of those two. It would be the guy you'd think. Uh, Anunga is there, Brian Anunga, and again, Lawrence Wyke making a second appearance on the podcast ever and today. Uh, and uh, and that, that's kind of the state of play in central midfield, Tim, I think is the, is the question here is, yeah, you got a good enough team that if if you need to be conservative in the middle, your your trio can work here. They started against Seattle to start that season. Davis, Dax, and Anibal, and then didn't play uh, together, uh, all three of them very much after that, and Dax and Anibal had big drop-offs in, in you know, the amount of soccer they usually play for this team. Yeah, and it's a situation where um, they aren't—they aren't young guys. <laughs> um, they're all younger than us, so we're not going to make fun of them too much. But, but um, Dax McCarty is is not going to be a, a 34 game player at this stage of his career. What you hope is that you get the most out of him in the minutes that he does play. And it, I, I don't want to act like he's a you know on his way out. I don't want to—he's not on hospice care for his career or something. <laughs> but he is a guy. He is a guy who. If you get 28 good games out of and you sub him off and maybe half of those, that's that's a really good performance from Dax. And I think that that's what you would like to see if if you're Gary Smith, if you're if you're a fan of this club, too. You want to see Sean Davis be as close to an Iron Man as he can be and then get as much out of Dax and Godoy as you can. And, and you have a couple viable backups there as well. You heard Dax McCarty say on this podcast toward the end of the 2021 season, you know, when, when the day comes that I watch film back of myself on the field and I don't recognize what I see and I'm embarrassed by what I see, I'll retire. I think we would both agree when Dax played last year, there weren't many, if any of those moments, he had a couple, but he, he was, he was reliable when he was on the pitch. Uh, but I think that's the question. And, and so the fact leads into the question here. The fact is that Dax started his fewest matches since 2010 last year on a ball, the fewest since his rookie season that allowing of course, for the 2020 weirdness. So don't, don't mm-hmm. count 2020 in that total number. 
But I guess the question, right? And and maybe this is a one note positional preview section here. But I think that question is, can one of those guys get the minutes Nashville needs? And, and Anibal won't have as much international duty to contend mm-hmm. with this year, or at least as pressing as he did with Panama, pushing for a World Cup uh, berth. You, do you think he's got those minutes in him to compensate for the fact that Dax is probably not going to start more than, I would say, 15 or 20 matches this year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we just talked about Dax's, Dax's age getting up there and that being uh, a factor in his 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 reduction in playing time compared to what we're used to seeing. I think Adoy's was was mostly an anomaly. He had that um, thigh injury that he suffered on international duty with Panama that kept him out more than, like you said, more than he's ever been out of, of a season in his MLS career. I think he's not the the youngest guy in the league either. But it does seem like more of kind of an acute issue that does not come back up. It's not going to be a chronic thing. So I think you're going to get a lot out of Godoy and it shouldn't be quite as big of an issue. And I think if you have both of those guys closer to full health than they were last year, because it was a, a uncharacteristically uh, unavailable year for each of them, I think if you get them back, even if you get an additional 5 or 10% uh, minutes uh, load back from each of those guys, it goes a long, long way to helping both of them not only stay a little bit healthier, but but more effective for each of them to not kind of run their legs ragged. And I think when you look at uh, what Dax McCarty's style has been over the course of his career, he's been a guy who is who is willing to run his legs ragged for you and he's kind of adjusting to not being that. And I think mm-hmm. when he and Godoy kind of have a little bit more of a platoon going, and, and yes, they can play together as well. Uh, Davis doesn't have to play every single game, but although I do, I, I think I predicted that he would uh, <laughs> rewind the tape four minutes here, but <laughs> I, uh, each of them, each of them should get uh, a boost in performance, even more than the boost in minutes load than uh, in comparison to last year. Yeah. And I think in the, in the happy timeline, you know, the brightest timeline, if you will, for the, for this team, that that's what you see is, is Godoy getting, you know, 25 starts, 20, 22 starts, whatever Dak starting the games. He doesn't, or they start together at a time or three, um, but I think the darkest timeline we could see very quickly is that those guys are unavailable for an extended spell. You hope not for their own sakes, but but you know either through fatigue or injury, and and you're leaning on a, an Anunga or a White to start considerable matches. Not anything against those guys, but I think that leads into my prediction, which is I think Nashville will reinforce this position at some point before during the first half of the season. Now, Tim, you brought up some great reasons why this is kind of a no man's land for Nashville. Mm-hmm. That that to get the level of experience or dynamicism that you want. You're hitting up a team that's probably not going to, to to want to sell that. If you if you want to go young and pick up somebody who's 22 and, and unproven, all right, then what's that really going to going to add to you? That what what Nashville wants is somebody they can depend on for 10 to 15 matches, but is so good that they're going to come at probably too high a price to justify that. <laughs> so yeah. so I think that reinforcement probably takes the form of, you know, may, maybe a veteran. The, a, a depew level of like type of, mm-hmm. of quantity, right? A guy that is at the stage of his career that he's not expecting to play 20, 25 times, but he's very willing to be that reliable, good locker room presence and step in in a pinch. Now, I don't have that name. Uh, maybe yeah. you do. Um, I do but, not. But I think that's the kind of reinforcement that that I would predict Nashville makes at some point, probably spending a little more gam than it wants to to make that happen. 
Yeah, they're, they're in something of an uncanny valley where a guy who is good enough to make the impact that they want is going to want more minutes than they have available for him to yeah. play. So it's and then a guy who's who's willing to play as few minutes is not going to be good enough when he does get those minutes. It's it is kind of a weird spot that they're in where where the the caliber of player and the the workload that you have available are, there's going to be a Venn diagram where maybe there is just like one or two guys that don't fit. Maybe maybe somebody from a club that has a too much midfield talent and and his is barely getting on the field says okay I'll get a a little bit more playing time for Nashville even if it's not a huge boost and I know yeah. um you know I I have listened to the Club and Country podcast I know Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy aren't, aren't young guys and maybe within a couple of years I can become a starter for Nashville SC but it is going to be a really you know narrow path to walk to find the right guy that that has the combination of low playing time demands but high caliber of play during that playing time so for that reason i actually think they won't upgrade as long as they feel like they are going to get a healthier year out of mccarty and uh godoy because you have davis who's who's he was an iron man he he and dave romney were the only field player iron man if i recall correctly a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and then you ha- I, you know it the the central midfield situation is always so interesting to me. And I think it must just be that I'm higher on Brian Anunga than a lot of people are because I don't see him as a liability. I think he's a guy that you can plug in and play. I understand what what some of the criticisms are. He's not going to be an attacking force in, by any stretch of the imagination. And that's something that if you need to get offense from your central midfielders, yes, it's, it's going to be a problem to play him for you know 26 games or something like that. But as a guy who can step in when when you have an occasional absence of Dax Godoy, um, it's it's a little bit less of an issue because you have both of those guys to hopefully cover for each other before Anunga needs to play a, a starter caliber role. Yeah, and I don't I don't mind Anunga a bit, but I think he's he's certainly better off coming in for maybe a Dax at this stage in Dax's yeah. career. It, it's, up it's, with the nature of some of the the mailbag questions we filled in the past couple of weeks too are, are are you know and again it's not it's I don't think anybody's intending to disrespect Brian and Nunga but yeah. they are kind of through the lens of okay we have Sean Davis we have Dax McCarty we have Anibal Godoy and then what I think there's a little bit more of uh uh you know talent in that in that. Uh, midfield and people are giving credit for there are there are four guys who can play it at an MLS level for sure and and we'll see if Lawrence Wyke can even kind of like you mentioned play a bit of a backup role as a central midfielder rather than a center back as well could certainly see that uh, for sure as we head to the wing let's do the shaffle shuffle 16 yards deep as Mukhtar stepping past one shot goal in his debut a true strike from the true north and that goal again, uh, courtesy of of iHeartRadio. Uh, Schaffelberg came out of nowhere, and I think as we look at the state of play, he's probably still going to end up being a very heavily used backup to start the season. If we if it's the formation we think a four four two or even a four two three one setup, because Fafa Pico comes over as well, and the look I, th- I think we see is Pico on one wing and Leal on the other with Schaffelberg, a guy along with Hawkinson, along with Muel, that you would have. Zero problem starting, inserting for a late goal, especially looking at Schaffelberg and the speed he has. And and I think the message, Tim, at this position group, regardless of, of who ends up starting the season, you know, in the 11 is speed upgrades. And maybe that's a statement of intent for this club. Yeah. And we mentioned this a little bit. I almost said last week, but it was like two days ago <laughs> um, that I think 
the the need for a striker is never going to go away necessarily, but the the urgency of it is reduced because there's so much more speed on the wings than there has been in the past. Yes, we saw, I think, 11 games out of Schaffelberg last year, but it's a very different story when you have a guy going through preseason ready to compete. Fafa Pico is, again, not a spring chicken, but he is still one of the fastest wingers in this league. Honestly, I, I almost wonder if you take Randall Layal and say, hey, we want to take a lot of pressure off of you. You're going to be a bit of a super sub at times. You're going to be a guy who can slide inside and, and be Hani Mukhtar's backup because he mm-hmm. has that ability to distribute. You have so many more options than you've historically had because you've added Pico. Um, you've added um, Schaffelberg for the entire season. I, I think, I, I, you know, there there are too many options. I, I can sit here and name a bunch of different lineups, you know, pick two of the names out of a hat and I can <laughs> I can talk about it a little bit. I do think Pico off the bench makes sense. So because you you add that speed and that's we've seen Gary Smith really like to take speed off the bench at late in games and, mm-hmm. and kind of stretch a tired back line. So there are a lot of options there. And I, I you know, it's not a situation that has ever been the case for Nashville C where you have multiple attacking wingers Um we love Alex Muehl, but he's not a, a true attacking winger. He's a guy who's going to go out and do a ton of work, not necessarily be you know a, a dangerous attacker. But now you have several guys. You know, I, I, you might have mentioned Luke Hawkinson. I haven't uttered his name just yet, and he's another guy who can come off the bench and do a lot of attacking for yeah. you. Uh, another guy who could also slide inside and be that Mukhtar backup if you want to go with the true four-two-three-one. So, so there's there's so much more talent, and there's there's a breadth and depth of skill sets on the wings that we have never seen this Nashville SC club have. Part of that is because the, the first year was so injury riddled with Abu Damadi unable to to stay healthy long enough to to play on the wing a lot. He was that speed guy then. So I, I think the options that Nashville has will provide an upgrade in the attack, even if Nashville doesn't add another striker, which we, I think we both expect them to do in the summer window, probably. I can't wait to see how Nashville uses uses that speed and evolves its its tactical approach. I've speculated that maybe it becomes more of a even more of a counterattacking team when you have that speed over the top that you can that you mm-hmm. can hit. Um, one fact about this position group, and not just this position group, but uh, Nashville completed the sixth most crosses in MLS last year, second most inside the eighteen, and so that's what's going to be interesting for me, Tim, to see. You know, with this speed, you've also got players who can slash in and, and make some plays on the ball inside the eighteen, rather than putting in hopeful crosses and especially hopeful crosses from the fullbacks, from a Lovitz or from a Moore. What you want to be able to have now is that overlap, and you've got that speed, mm-hmm. especially I think. Well, I say especially on the right side where, where Morgan likes to get forward, but Lovitz certainly can as well. And so, I, I guess the question then that I'll ask with that is what's the best way to get these guys on the field? I mean, we, we speculated. You mentioned you could name a bunch of yeah. different lineups and, and ways to employ them. What, what's, you, what's your ideal starting state here? Yeah, I think I think Leal is a guy that you don't really want to take off the field. But like we mentioned with um, Joe Willis or, or whomever else, there's the option to to sit a guy for one game, not because it's a punitive thing, but because you want to get his mind right. Nashville didn't really have that opportunity with Leal last year. Because there wasn't quite as much talent, you were you were taking you know a lot of your offense off the field, and um, fortunately, when they did do that, Hani Mukhtar was able to just go have an MVP season with with or without Leal, so that really helped. But I think Leal is one of your better attacking players. He gives you a shooting threat that nobody else does. You need him on the field. I think he plays better on the right, but it makes sense to me to put him on the left because then mm-hmm. you can put a left footer. 
Schaffelberg or a two footer like Hawkinson or Pico on the right side. And you can have those fullbacks overlapping and those guys can tuck inside and get the shooting angles that they prefer. I think that one of those options um, with Leal on the left where he hasn't played a ton, to be honest. So, so this is this is my take, not Gary Smith's take for sure. But I think that's probably the best way to do it. I love that idea with the the inversion and the overlap on the right side. And Shaq Moore probably loves that idea, too, because he's going to be overlapping <laughs> either way. Uh, it makes sense <laughs> for the guy who can kind of cl- enclose that space a little bit. Do you have a prediction for this position group? Yeah, my, my prediction is that is that no player gets half of the minutes on the year because there's so much depth here that, you know, you have five, six, seven guys who are going to get minutes. And it's going to be a rotation to keep these guys fresh keep that speed, keep those, keep those legs fresh, especially again, a guy like Pico, who's really fast, but is getting up there in years a little bit. You want to keep him fresh and fast. So I think nobody, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to say because fans really want to grasp onto a, a locked in starting 11. But I think if nobody hits, um, you know, over half of the minutes on the season, it's because there's so much success throughout the the depth of the position that nobody has to play that much. I think it's a great prediction and something we should definitely track uh, throughout the course of the season uh, because depth can be certainly an asset. I will say uh, on the flip side of that, that I think, I think Fafa Pico and Randall all play a fairly significant role in this, in this team and in this season. And, and I think they combine for 15 assists this year. That's, that's, I think maybe a fairly lofty number, for those yeah. guys, but Leal has put together, I believe it was eight a couple of years ago for this club. Uh, Pico has been around there and his better seasons in his career. And so, you know, I think to your point, if what you say happens, this maybe doesn't, uh, which is that you're spreading the assists as you're spreading the minutes. But I think if, if Pico can become a fixture in this lineup and use that speed and stay healthy and, and Leal on the other side, I think those two become your main options here. But again, I, I see the point that you're so deep here. You have some some ability to to diversify your your talent a lot. Getting into the forwards now, I, I I'll pick a Hani Mukhtar goal later. You guys are going to hear it right now, courtesy of iHeartRadio. <laughs> two defenders, two boys in gold. Shaq Moore for Mukhtar. Ladies and gentlemen. Salute your MVP front runner. Yeah, so that was a great goal that I just picked, wasn't it? That was awesome. And that was really a defining moment in the season, courtesy of iHeartRadio. <laughs> one, one fact about this group, which I think is easiest to break down position-wise, Mukhtar and Sapong, your presumed starters in a 4-4-2, uh, but Teal Bunbury certainly knocking on the door of Sapong. Um, and uh, for reasons I'll mention in a minute, Ethan Zubak, of course, lurking as well. Maybe you have have a, a, a somebody from Next Pro who works his way up in here too. We'll see at some point. Uh, for for at least League Cup action. But the fact is that in the second half of the season, Nashville got four goals from forwards not named Hani Mukhtar. All of them came from Teal Bunbury, as CJ Sapong did not score um, after early summer. And that has led people to ask Tim the question, I think, in this position group, which is, you know, will Mike Jacobs feel the need to make a midseason addition after it doesn't seem like, at least at this point, a preseason addition is coming up top? We've seen this club make a midseason acquisition at, at forward at striker specifically almost every year. Um, two out of, two out of three years, I guess. So it's not it's not exactly a huge sample size either. But that's how they want to operate. They want to evaluate the needs. So it's really up to CJ Sapong and Teal Bunbury if there's going to be a, a midseason addition 
at striker, I would say, because if they come out and play like they have historically, um, you know, last year was not either of their best years. CJ Sipong did not have a great finishing year. I think it's a st- statistical anomaly. Mm-hmm. Teal Bunbury was in and out of the lineup with injury. Uh, it's not something that's happened to him historically, but he, again, like many others on this team, is is not, you know, 24 years old or something. It could continue to happen. But if those guys play to their historical levels, I don't think you need to see an addition at the striker position. And it's not going to make fans happy because you're not going to see 20 goals between Sapong and Bunbury to say the <laughs> least. No. But their their job is to be complementary attackers to the wing talent that we just mentioned. And of course, to the MVP, Hani Mukhtar. There's a reason this guy was the MVP and it's because Nashville kind of built the team around him and didn't need a ton from the striker specifically. Um, So it's a situation where, yes, it's possible to make a midseason addition. But those guys have the opportunity to to determine whether that has to happen, determine whether the club feels the need to add a striker. And we've talked about how, you know, so much of what affects the striker play is the wing play and and mm-hmm. getting more speed along the flanks can can open up that space for a Bunbury and for a Forest of Hong. My prediction for this position group is that uh, Bunbury and Sapong help Hani enough uh, and the wings help him enough that Hani Mukhtar is MVP finalist for the third straight year. I think that the better play all around opens up the field for Hani rather than, of course, you know, closing in around him. And toward the end of the year, everybody knew Hani was the guy and he, he still made plays happen. So I think if if Sapong or Bunbury have a better year this year, and I think they will, like one of them will, mm-hmm. then Hani Mukhtar is going to have maybe an even better year or it's hard to top last year, at least an equivalent year that puts him in the mix. Does he win MVP? Look, hard to do that twice in a row. But I think he's in that top five play player discussion at MLS because of what happens elsewhere up top Tim. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good prediction. It's uh I would say, Wes, that is a pretty safe prediction because uh, yeah, because Hani has has done what he has done over the past few years here. My prediction is that is that uh Sapong and Bunbury combine uh, for 10 goals and 10 assists, um, many of those assists will likely go to Hani Mukhtar. Many of those goals will likely be assisted by Hani Mukhtar, but those guys, um, you know, I think if they had performed over the course of the year, instead of all of Sapong's performance happening at the very beginning of the year, it would be viewed differently in terms of how effective they were. But I think when they're, when they're uh, a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, Sapong's struggles last year were uncharacteristic. Bunbury was new to the team and often injured. I think they'll be more comfortable in that, that speed on the wings that we've mentioned so many times now is really going to help open things up for them and, and, and get them the ball and, and pretty exposed spaces where they're either one-on-one with the keeper or one-on-one laying off to Hani Mukhtar to, to make a big play. I really like that. And uh, folks, we want to hear your predictions for each of these position groups as well. So again, we'll break it down. Forward wing, central midfield, backline keeper. What do you think is going to happen this year? Just tag at club country USA um, at West bowling TN on, on Twitter, on Instagram. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just let us know what you think uh, is going to happen uh, for Nashville SC or comprehensively in just a minute. We're going to put a, Cork in our discussion. Ben Cork, editor of Once a Metro, is going to chat about New York Red Bulls. We're going to go around Major League Soccer before the season starts and, and early into the season to explore different clubs around the league. And Ben, as the editor of Once a Metro, has great perspective of what Red Bulls have been up to this offseason. And they are Nashville SC's first preseason opponents. Those of you who are catching this on Friday or on Saturday before that first friendly, great. But obviously, we're using Red Bulls friendly matchup with with Nashville more as impetus to talk about them moving forward this season. They mm-hmm. are an early season opponent for uh, for the boys in gold. 
Ben's great and uh, really enjoyed that discussion with him. Um, looking forward to enjoying discussions with many of you at ML Rose this this year. Tim, are you a bacon guy on your burgers? Uh, I can I can I can go for some bacon every once in a while. It's not a requirement for me. When I was younger, when I was in high school, I would always have a bacon like a bacon cheeseburger. But uh, yeah, in my in my old age, I'm a I'm a, a guy who uh, tries to eat a little bit healthier, I guess. But um, when when I splurge when I splurge bacon on a burger is definitely one one way I do it. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about Nashville SC's central like defensive mid quandary. To me, there's a bacon quandary with burgers as well, which is if the burger to me is is good enough on its own, I don't add bacon. It doesn't need bacon. It's a great burger. If the burger's not good enough on its own, I'm inclined to add bacon. But then if they're not great at making burgers, are they any good at making bacon or is it going to be the stringy stuff? I don't I don't know. My point being, if you want bacon at ML Rose, it's going to be good. If you don't want bacon at ML Rose, it's going to be good. In fact, if you don't want meat <laughs> at ML Rose, you can go impossible and and be a vegetarian and even vegan. And I believe that's, yeah, Beyond Meat's still vegan, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. Look it yes, up. Beyond, uh, beyond yeah, okay, you got it. You can you can in, in, insert that and substitute that impossible patty for a meat patty, and uh, you're going to have a good experience. So I, I, I like bacon on burgers, but again, only if the burger's a little bit subpar. I don't think I've I've actually ever gotten bacon on a burger at Melrose. I'm sure it's great, though, especially with good beer. <laughs> well, Wes, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're a fan of something, do you like, do you like beer, the beverage beer? beer never heard of it okay you know so this stuff you gotta try you gotta try it what you have to do is you have to go to your to either the west nashville or or the eighth south location of of ml rose okay they have so many of these things on tap it's it's great you drink it sometimes you get a little tipsy if you have if you have a few too many but they have a they have a a variety of of beers there so what you're saying is just great go after it in a c match and have have a is it b is it two e's in that and then yes, yeah or if you spell it german it's b-i-e-r or i don't know how, to, how you say those French. letters and... i'll be having a br this time uh next week by the way i'll be in in quebec b-i-e-r-e french there you go ah. um, yeah beard beer de garde but again even where we are in casabazwa quebec not a burger bar not not even one, and not one certainly <laughs> that equals the glory of ML Rose. All right, let's get to our chat with Ben, the, uh, the editor of Once a Metro. Well, as promised, we're pleased to be joined by Ben Cork. He's the editor of Once a Metro. He is a, a Southerner by birth, grew up in South Carolina, spent a lot of time, though, in New York growing up there and following Red Bulls since way back around 2006. So he is um, the preeminent Red Bulls expert that we've had on this show, no doubt. And as editor for SB Nation's Once a Metro, does a great job covering the club. Ben, thanks for spending time with us today. Hey, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Glad to kind of get back into the rhythm of things here with the season that's kind of snuck up on us. I was just telling Tim earlier in the show that it feels like we have had a lot of discussion, but now it's time for dissection again. It's time to break some stuff down. And uh, yeah. excited to do that, kind of talking about Red Bull's narratives here with you. Before we get into talking about Red Bull... Another good season, you know, made the playoffs once again, as they seem to do every year, lost to Cincinnati in the first round of of the, the playoffs, which I don't need to remind you about, I'm sure. <laughs> but but I, I want to know, did you, do you leave any booby traps for NYCFC fans who have to journey over to Red Bull Arena when they have home matches over there? Any any uh, tricks or treats that anybody's leaving for those uh, those Pigeons fans? Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully it's not going to be happening as much in the years to come. Looks like they have a little bit 
um, better of a setup at uh, City Field in Queens as a backup stadium. And then obviously their more permanent digs seem to be further down the line. But in the meantime, there's there's been a few kind of, uh, you know, sorties that have been done out, uh, kind of uh, maybe switching around the train schedules, uh, you know, um, you know, that kind of thing that can kind of ruin your whole night, uh, you know. Well, we, we have fun, but uh, we'll be nice to not have that uh, kind of lingering around uh, in the in the stadium vibes uh, in the years to come. I think that Nashville SC supporters probably feel a good degree of kinship with Red Bulls supporters in a few ways. Number one, NYFC kind of made itself in NYCFC kind of made itself into a kind of an organic rival uh, when when the two teams shared the Eastern Conference uh, there, especially back in in twenty one and and two. I think you know when you look at and Alex Wheel, and Dax McCarty, uh, Sean yeah. Davis, you know, formative years spent and in some cases, all of their years spent in New York before coming down here. So I think, you know, Nashville SC fans probably know a lot about, about what the Red Bull style is about, even if they wouldn't be able to tell you the results of every Red Bulls game last year. But, but define, if you will, for us, just for those who maybe are a little more uninitiated, what that Red Bull style is. Well, it's it's become a lot more clear than it, it's ever been in the last couple of years <laughs> under Gerhard Struber, who yeah. is, you know, pretty much Mr. Red Bull. He was a former Salzburg Academy coach, um, has, uh, you know, was a personal friend of the late Dietrich Mateschitz, the Red Bull owner. And, um, uh, yeah, he's really kind of doubled down on that identity the last couple of years after the team got a little bit muddled in sort of the wake of Jesse Marsh leaving and, um, you know, things having a few sort of underwhelming seasons. Um, they went ahead and kind of, uh, you know, rebuilt the squad, lowered the squad age um, in that kind of Red Bull manner and um, really went after, you know, playing intense pressing, um, high, high energy pressing with with younger players. They were, you know, any any chart that you saw of, you know, you know, whatever metrics on pressures, for game pressures in certain areas, Red Bulls were far and away out in front of that, even in front of some of the other teams like maybe Philadelphia that also have a pressing style. So, um, yeah, the the Red Bull identity of just kind of creating chaos, just kind of making forcing mistakes from the other team um, on their own end of the field and just sort of direct drives to goal have been the objective and um, it's come together in some games come together less so in others, but um, hoping that this season, you know, which will be Struber's third full season with the team, we'll see kind of everything start to coalesce a little bit. It's a club that's really given Nashville a lot of fits. I think back to the two, no loss up in 2021 up at Red Bull arena. That was a, a pretty hot Nashville team at the time that, that Red Bulls completely shut down and, and, um, in an early matchup between those two teams. I think the, yeah. you know, the, the one, one draw on decision day in 21 as yep. well. Uh, and I think that style where, where it may be somewhat mercurial game to game, it's led to really consistent season to season results, 12 straight years in the playoffs Definitely. for, for Red Bulls, which is incredible in this league that is so driven by parity. That's a record anybody would embrace. Um, but then no appearances in in MLS Cup in, in an illustrious history going back to the Metro Stars era for the last five years that finish has been sixth or seventh good enough to get into the playoffs again amazingly consistently what's it going to take for Red Bulls to to break that cycle though of kind of residing on that playoff fringe and when it does break is it going to break forward and and they you know, pushing toward a, a top three or four finish 
Or is there a risk of sliding backward when maybe the young talent doesn't coalesce like it normally does? What's more likely in your opinion? And, and what's it going to take to to help things push forward instead of backward? Well, that is kind of the grand existential question around this club, especially um, since, you know, the Jesse Marsh era when the team was, you know, fair, fairly the best, you know, regular season team in the league during those years, but couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And, you know, plan B is sort of the cliche as, you know, what Red Bull needs to do to get over the hump. Because like you said, the, you know, the clear identity and the pressing style makes for a very high floor for a team that, you know, uh, the team can, you know, have, you know, some rough games, but the fact that everybody's on the same page and that every game is fairly difficult on some level for the opponent means that you'll always kind of get results in the aggregate. But um, in the meantime, kind of what I think we're seeing this season that maybe, you know, breaks, breaks the, the duck a little bit is that uh, the team's going to be sort of, again, you know, doubling down on the Red Bull style, but in a slightly different way where it seems like they might be going. Um, you, you mentioned those Nashville games in, in 2021. That was a season. It was Struber's first season. Um, where especially in the second half of the year towards that decision day game, uh, the team was playing very pinned back, playing very safe and defense first, obviously, um, as they tried to kind of, they barely got into the playoffs that year to keep the streak going. And I think this year, what you're going to see is a bit more of an expansion offensively um, with the team. And I think that's going to come through probably a bit of a formation switch. It looks like uh, the team's added a couple strikers in the last few months. They've added Corey Burke, who's a free agent. From Philadelphia, they signed Elias Manuel, who was a youngster from Brazil. And um, combined with some of the existing guys, assuming they stay, like uh, Patrick Kamala, Tom Barlow, even some of the attacking midfielder types like Lewis Morgan, who you know can play up top, I think you're going to see a team that plays with a two-striker formation. I think the big question is going to be whether it comes out as kind of a 4-4-2 or for, you know 2-2-2 with you know traditional wingers, or if it is back to a diamond midfield formation mm-hmm. that Gerhard Struber used in his first year, which was um, kind of having just crowding the central midfield. So he did mention in his uh, opening press conference the other day, Gerhard Struber, that uh, he's pleased with having a lot of bodies in central midfield, which seems to hint towards the latter. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. I think the team's definitely going to have a slightly tweaked tactical look, if not you know at all going away from the general identity. I always loved watching those Red Bulls uh, Philadelphia matches where it's diamond versus diamond. The oh, yeah. playoff game in 21, I know not as fond of memory for those in, in New Jersey as as perhaps in uh, in Philadelphia, but, yeah. but just heavy. I think it was I, a fantastic game. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing uh, down to the 121st minute winner, I think, for right. Philly, but it was one of those that could have easily gone gone either way. Uh, when you when you talk about how Red Bulls will play this year, I think the biggest headline across the league, folks like me are going to look at New York and say, Aaron Long gone to L.A. Mm-hmm. How does that change how Red Bulls play? Can they I mean, do they have to be even cagier in midfield to compensate for the loss of, by all accounts, a stalwart at center back? Or is it a case of, you know what, he'd been hurt a, a decent amount in the past few years anyway. So they've kind of learned to get used to life without him and things don't have to change as a result of his departure. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to to watch play out. Um, kind of to piggyback on what I was just saying about the formation shift. I think um, even if if out of necessity, if they don't add more center back bodies before the season, um, I think it's going to be harder for Gerard Struber to roll out um, kind of the three five man back line he used a lot last year. If he doesn't have um, some some more experienced bodies back there. Right now, it's it's Sean Nealis who's come on really strongly in the last couple of years after being a somewhat unheralded draft pick, and then um, also Andres Reyes who just was called up to the Colombian national team, who's just you know an outstanding player. But that's the only two um, kind of significantly you know pro experienced center backs that are in the team right now. So you would think there's going to be at least one addition there in the next few weeks before the season. We'll see. But I think general, you know, in a more kind of holistic sense, I think it's, you know, this was a team, like I said, very young, um, especially um, last couple of years. And Aaron Long was, basically the only guy who was over kind of that mid twenties age range, the only sort of, you know, that guy with that level of experience. So him leaving does not help that situation at all, obviously, but it seems like the team is sort of banking on, you know, this group that's grown together the last couple of years, sort of gelling more and being on the same page will overcome any sort of, uh, you know, lack of that kind of uh, steering wheel leader. Um, so, um, we'll see it, it, you know, it's kind of a thing where, you know, Aaron long missed a lot of games last year. And obviously going back to 21, when he had his Achilles injury, um, he's missed a lot of games in the last couple of years. And obviously it would have, you know, the team would have been better off having in them in them, but the team didn't exactly collapse defensively without him in the team. So, um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out, but it definitely seems like a situation where at least one more, you know, warm body if anything else is needed at center back to get through what's going to be a pretty crowded schedule this year bodies who are on the roster are down in florida getting ready to take on nashville on saturday for those who are listening to the show before that preseason friendly look these things are crap shoots right who who knows yeah. or who cares who wins this game but in terms of, of what you want to accomplish not even on the scoreboard but but in terms of of that gelling that coalescing process what do you think red bulls are going to be trying to accomplish when they face nashville in that preseason match yeah kind of along what i've what i've been saying uh, i think they are going to be trying out some new formations and i think engineering that is going to take priority over results and i think that's mm-hmm. kind of a long-term practice especially with this team's you know kind of focus on tactical identity that they they're not too worried about um bad preseason results sometimes there was one game last preseason where they lost 6-1 to it was actually the last preseason game of last year where they lost 6-1 to LAFC and uh you know ended up winning their first game on the road a week later so mm-hmm. um you know always like you said i mean it's their their crap shoots and it's it's you know hard to read too much out of preseason games, especially ones that, you know, for the most part, we won't be able to, to watch too much this year. But uh, um, yeah, I think that sort of uh, general team gelling is going to be the main focus. And, um, you know, I think you'll be able to, to read a decent amount from just, you know, seeing the lineups and seeing some of the, you know, maybe substitutions and progressions of play as far as, you know, what might change about the team's approach this year. How do Red Bulls fans look at, Nashville. I think, you know, it's one thing to just be an expansion team without a firm history in the league or against each other. But when you've got so many former Red Bulls down in Nashville, we mentioned Dax, of course, and Sean and Wheel. Is there a fondness 
there or is it just eh, it's a league where so many guys are moving around so much we don't have time to focus on anybody but ourselves well it's it definitely caught the interest of a lot of people i think um, maybe moving to the west last year might have curtailed a little bit of that but people were people were definitely interested i mean all the guys you mentioned were you know not not just you know long time red bulls but really popular ones and um you know uh there's definitely be been been an interest and i think there's been something of a you know a little bit you know people have their ears up when nashville comes to town and are a little more interested in that game than they would be for any other you know kind of expansion team like you're saying and um yeah it's uh it's it's interesting i mean i think uh i think everybody's pleased to see more you know more than anything else i mean maybe with sean davis last year uh you know leaving as the captain voluntarily there was maybe a little bit of resentment there but i think for the most part people are just happy to see um someone like dax someone like alex Moyle, you know and even sean davis thriving um in these you know new new settings and uh yeah i think it's it's um it's it's a pretty pretty good feeling when when people get to see those games as opposed to any sort of bitterness so and we'll look forward to to seeing Nashville against Red Bulls also early in the upcoming season. So these guys are going to be scouting each other a little bit, surely, as they uh, come to terms with who their identities are going to be. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with today? No, I think it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting season. I mean, I think for for both our teams here, um, you know, a little bit of uh, kind of a do or die season for some coaches who have been in place for a while, building squads for a little bit. And um, it'll be, you know, obviously a lot of things changing around the league, like the TV deal and some of the scheduling and extra tournaments. And I think it's just, um, if nothing else, it'll be a very interesting and kind of illuminating season about what's going to happen with, you know, Nashville and Red Bulls and just the league as a whole. Calendar is marked January 21st. uh, So just Saturday Uh, for many of you, that's going to be today. uh, Nashville taking on Red Bulls and then March 4th, Nashville's first road trip of the season is going to be up to Red Bull Arena. Ben, uh, thanks again for taking the time. How can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at uh, Corquino, which is spelled with the Portuguese H. It's fantastic, um, by the like, way. I, I, I try, I try to annoy people <laughs> as much as I can with that. I but love then, it. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter there. Obviously, once a Metro SB Nation is where you can find some of my more long form writing, and then I also work on the View from 202 Red Bulls podcast. If you ever feel like getting that nitty gritty into things on the other teams, so um, thanks for having me on, Wes. It was great. South Carolina mustard-style barbecue forever. Thanks again, Ben. That's right. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, thanks to Ben for for joining us. And, uh, Tim, Red Bulls are one of those clubs that I think you always kind of know are going to be in that playoff fringe mix. But by virtue of the way they've set themselves up and, and part of that larger Red Bull conglomerate, they're at this point at least rarely in – they're not in the Dax and Thierry Henry days. Um, and, and so I'm really interested to see what they can become this year. What are your thoughts on on what you would expect if you were a Red Bull supporter? Yeah, I think you, you know what you're going to get tactically, and it's going to be the high press. It's going to be uh, you know trying to force the turnovers at the top of the formation and, and turn those into quick shooting opportunities. Uh, if if the Red Bulls start playing out of the back, I'll be stunned. <laughs> it's something that they've had <laughs> right. the, the talent to do, but – um, they very rarely do it, certainly not over any extended stretch. They're the club whose tactical identity is probably the most clear. I guess you could say something like LAFC kind of in the opposite direction is is you know very possession oriented. But that's not always going to be the case. You know what Red Bulls are going to provide. And it's just a matter of if they have the talent to to make that 
turn into, you know, a situation where they they're scoring a ton of goals or, you know, if they're if they're pressing and they don't have the finishing capability, if they don't create those moments of extreme danger, it comes down to the talent. Um, you, like you mentioned, they don't have a Thierry Henry. They don't have a, a Bradley Wright Phillips up there just to just to bang in the goals over and over again. But they're always going to create the opportunities. That's mm-hmm. something that um, they are designed to to do, and it's not designed to be beautiful. Although I always push back against like um, hearing like extra time radio say, "Oh yeah, it's going to be ugly, but it's going to be effective." I, I, it's not. It's not aesthetically unpleasing to me, <laughs> quite no. honestly. So it's something that um, again, you know what you're going to get, and it's just a matter of you know, kind of what the quality is going to be on a year to year basis. They're always going to bring up guys from the Academy. John Tolkien is a guy that I'm really excited to see a lot out of this year. We'll see oh, yeah. uh, the next stage in his development as well. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm always excited to see the Red Bulls and I really like the, their style of play. I know it's going to make, that's no, going to make you. me a blasphemer in the uh, MLS world. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you though. For me, I don't, I don't crave a particular style of soccer. I crave consistent identity. I want to know what I'm going yeah. to see when I show up. I don't, the results <laughs> are going to be unpredictable, but how are you setting up? And whether it's free flowing, you know, possession based or whether it's heavy metal, second balls and repressing, man, I like I like watching Red Bulls play, too, because you know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I I think one of the reasons I like it is because I didn't play, you know, like every kid who's, uh, you know, mid 30s. I I played until I was eight and then I played more typical American sports. I never played again. So I suck at soccer. I love to play it, but I suck. (laughs) So something that that you just go out and try really hard i always appreciate i think i've mentioned this many 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 episodes ago i mentioned it's one of the reasons i appreciate alex muil because he is a dude who i'm obviously far more talented than i will ever be but goes out there and says you know what i'm just going to go and earn everything that i get on this field and i appreciate that out of red bulls i think it's it's something that not every team has such a defined style and not every team's style is, is so different from most other clubs in the league. Like even on um, the union, which is kind of that all press all the time sort of thing. They try to possess it still. They try to play a little bit more beautiful soccer. It's good. I like, I like the union style too, but I, I like the Red Bulls as well. Man, I, I like them both, I, especially when they play each other. Then that's some that's some action. So I want to close with, with kind of a two-part question for you. Um, And the, the question is, what defines success a Saturday against Red Bulls? What defines success for Nashville SC and B for preseason? What should we view? The record's not going to matter. Goal score, not really going to matter unless it's 20 or zero. What defines success against Red Bull Saturday for Nashville SC and what defines a successful preseason? Against Red Bulls, I think Nashville's goal is to try to play out of the back a lot, to try to really play a possession game against an opponent that's going to make that more difficult than anyone else will all year. Because we haven't seen Nashville be an elite possession team, they've been they've been better than they get credit for a lot of the time. But when you go out and kind of drill it against a team that's going to make life really tough, um, you, you remember the the 3-0 loss, the United States men's national team, 3-0 loss to Canada. They said... You know what? It's like the tin cup thing. We're just going to go out and we're going to keep trying to pitch it over the over the water hazard, and every time it gets dunked in. But we're learning. You know that's 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 uh, what Kevin Costner didn't do in that in that 1998 ish film. But but it is something that the the players individually can do. I think that you get so much out of playing Red Bulls in preseason, in terms of the the overarching, uh, you know, all seven matches. I think it is um, over the course of preseason. I really want to see some of the younger players earn the confidence of the coaching staff and earn the confidence of their teammates. Because if you are able to get really good performances out of 
um, you know, say a Jack Mayer, I, I think we're pretty much expecting that at this point. But if you're able to get really good performances out of, um, you know, say a Joey Skinner, you're going to go into the regular season with a lot more confidence in what he's able to do if he's drawn into action. And that's something that, you know, Nashville hasn't always had the greatest depth. And that if you build that with, especially with younger players, you can really start to not just have a good team, but a good, you know, program, a good franchise going forward as well. Preseason begins again Saturday against Red Bulls, stretch of seven matches that culminates then with Nashville SC opening the Major League Soccer season against NYCFC in late February. Tim, for our final whistle, any final thoughts or content recommendations you want to toss out there? Uh, no, I, I want to circle back to my content recommendation from last week. Um, not from Monday, from last week. Uh, I recommended reading uh, Jan Van Heren's uh list of links to to studies about soccer and and whatnot um i've read probably half of them a lot of it is really dense academic writing but it is really interesting stuff so i want to um uh i I will forgive listeners if they skip over some of the some of the (laughs) the heavier stuff but i want to go back and and, uh reiterate that some of those things are really interesting and um digestible to the layperson many of them are not digestible to the layperson one of which i am too i'm not i'm not out here (laughs) trying to claim that i uh am i'm some sort of special mind but uh, it is still really interesting to um as i like to to bring up in the content recommendations think about the way you think not just like think about Mm -hmm. what the facts are in front of you and it's something that i'm always uh, constantly striving to continue to improve with preseason mental calisthenics um i like that a lot can't wait to check that out mine is per um per form a little more feelings ball uh halfway through the beckham experiment finally got Mm -hmm. it i placed a hold on the library in late december and and it's in my house now i'm taking it up to canada with me to finish it i might finish it tonight though it's great it's it's um you know grant wall uh, the late grant wall uh is one of his best gifts, I think, was placing himself in rooms where he was not and and doing the reporting and understanding conversations that that happened. But also he was in a hell of a lot of rooms around this time mm-hmm. as well of, of Beckham's move to Los Angeles. And I think for those of us who appreciate where MLS is now, looking back at where it was and the fact mm-hmm. that when Beckham came in, his teammates were making as little as twelve thousand five hundred dollars per year. Yeah not per game, per year, uh, and understanding the gulf in prestige there and the pop culture splash, I'm not as much into that. Posh Spice, Respector, whatever, it's fine. But but for me, the the soccer impact. The, the You're always more of a I scary need. spice guy. You're a Mel. You're a Mel B guy. Is that what you were? I, you know, I can't. I can't hang right now. I, I'm like trying to chase Alex and wheel down the flank in the 93rd <laughs> minute. I can't hang with this pop culture stuff. There was a there was a sexy, a sporty. I guess I'm a sporty spice because I like spice. We're, we're out of our depth. I think that was Mel C. Oh, there are two Mel's? Yeah. yeah, there's Mel B and Mel C, Emma, Victoria Beckham, and the other one, Ginger oh. Spice. I can't think of her name. Uh, I, I Do I know more than I should about the Spice Girls? You know more than I do about the Spice Girls, <laughs> but I'm not sure that that's the standard here. You um, need a spice of your life, Wes. Uh, spice it up. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to be my Loba, you got to go on loan. Oh, there we go. There we go. The one song I know paid off very well. Where was it? Beckham experience. <laughs> great. <laughs> great, great book. For the song, and like Landon Donovan versus David Beckham is mm-hmm. is the story. It's the question, right? And at one point, you know, it was he'll be the captain. Speaking of Beckham, Beckham, you be the star. And by the way, friend of the show. Alexi I was gonna say Lawless. friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Alexi Lawless. Of the pod, Alexi Lawless. Oh man. Um I, on on a um 
on a on a much harder note, as we as we close out, I want to send our love to the Charlotte FC family and Major League mm-hmm. Soccer families for the loss of Anton Walks. Uh, tragically, um, the reporting is that it was a, a boating accident. I believe. Mm-hmm. Read read more thorough reports, certainly than what we're offering there, but but um, certainly awful. And, and the soccer community will come together, I'm sure, and and mourn his loss, and and we join them in in doing so. Thanks to everyone for listening. Um, thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship, Moon Taxi for the music. Hop on, give us a rating, review, uh, subscribe to the show as well so we can be pushed right to your feed as soccer season approaches. Get those routines in order. Go to ML Rose and get the burger, bacon or not. Get the is it beer, you said? Yes, yeah, beer. Yeah. Um, and subscribe to the show as well. Get those things in order so you can wake up on Tuesday mornings and get ready for matches with us. Thanks to Ben for joining us. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network. And we'll talk to you again very soon.